Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Then when they come back with the food, they then come back to the table with their plate held up in the air. And then you have to put your hand up to say, yes, that was me. And you think to yourself, you took my order. There's only four of us. You took my order only 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, whatever it was. Why can't you deliver it to the right person? You go into a restaurant and then you've got this person with a guitar leaning over the tables next to them and the acoustics are always set way too loud so that you're in this tiny little box of a room and you cannot talk to the people around you. On average, people were spending an additional $5.55, which was about 8% of the menu, for not having dollar signs on the menu. Ryan, do you remember back in the day of the Muppets where they had Statler and Wardorf? Uh, yeah, the two old guys in the balcony who would um, <laughs> make fun of everyone and complain. Yeah, I love those guys. Well, that's what we're going to do today, mate. Okay. I'm, I could not be happier. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do it about restaurants. Okay? One of my favorite things to complain about. This is yes. going to be great. Yes. So, dear listener, this was born from the fact that that Ryan and I were chatting earlier about restaurants and some of the things that drive us around the bend when it comes to restaurants. And then it obviously comes into the thing of going, well, if we were doing it, we would do it differently. That's right. (laughs) And and better, for sure. Oh, definitely better. Definitely better. But actually, the interesting bit is that when you actually take a step back and think about some of those things that are you know, you do differently. It applies to many businesses. Yeah. I mean, this isn't just advice for starting a restaurant, although hopefully it'd be useful to you if you want to do that. We talk about, you know, a lot of behavioral science principles or we talk about, you know, customer experience management and it can be a little bit abstract and that can be kind of hard to to apply to a specific situation. So also this is a way of like, what would you do from a customer experience management standpoint from the behavioral science standpoint, if you were to, you know, apply it to a restaurant setting. So hopefully it'll be useful from that perspective too. And also it'll be useful because you and I get to complain about stuff. <laughs> and it's very therapeutic, isn't it really? That's right. So it's especially helpful because our listeners now need to listen to me complain, uh, which is providing a break from my wife having to listen to me complain. So she, <laughs> she thanks you all. By the way, it would be interesting in uh, drop us a line or put some comments in if you if you uh, either agree or disagree with any of these things because um, we all have restaurant experiences. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? You've got the longer list of complaints. Uh, I do. So one of the things that drives me around the bend is you get, restaurants that don't seem to know what business they're in yeah okay and it goes back to that i think i've mentioned to you in the past which is there seems to be a difference between dining and eating okay so dining is you go out for a couple of hours 
you're with your friends, it's all quite relaxed, etc. And then you have eating, which is I'm going out because I need to eat and I want it to be quick and I want it turned over. And I, I have to say calories to survive till the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, one of the key aspects of eating is I want to have a quick turnover. And one of the key as- aspects of a dining experience is that you don't and actually you want to spend time there. So I guess it comes back to the question about, well, what, you know, who are your customers? Doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I I would suggest that, that they need to get even more specific than that. Because even within like dining, for example, dining can serve a lot of specific needs. Or is this like a family gathering, like where you want to, to have a large group together? Is this a romantic dining experience, right? Is this, oh, I haven't had one of them for a while. Is it, yeah, speaking of wives <laughs> complaining. Is this an experience where it's more focused on the food? So like you're coming for a dining experience, but it's because the food is so like the centerpiece of the experience. And that's what you need to know. Any of those can work. Any of those can work, but you need to know what it is that what's the value that you're providing. And this is again, where it links to other businesses outside of restaurants, any business that exists, you need to know, what your source of value is. You need to know what job you are doing for your customers so that you can do it well. Yeah, and and let me build on this then because this sort of goes into another little bugbear of mine, but it comes under the heading of, you know, what business are you in? Which is, I've been at restaurants many times where food is coming out the kitchen, but it's not coming to me. It, It seems to be coming out in paper bags mainly. And therefore, I've often, I've actually asked restaurant owners, you know, what percentage of your business is actually now takeaway? I think the question for me is, and again, I've, I've asked some restaurants, are you a takeaway that has happens to have a restaurant or are you a restaurant that happens to do takeaway? And I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the pandemic changed restaurant business in a pretty dramatic way. Some restaurants have figured that out and been able to negotiate that. Others have really struggled. There's a a Mexican restaurant near my home in Georgia that's fantastic. It's regionally one of the best and it's very, very popular. It's always packed. They moved to a larger building during COVID, kind of knowing or anticipating that, that someday people would eat back in the restaurant again. And unfortunately, they so they do a, a, a lot of takeout business as well. My family and I usually order takeout from there rather than drag the entire group into the restaurant. And uh, when they moved to the new location, they just they did not plan for that very well. So the, the sure. entrance to the restaurant, so the, the new location is in, is bigger. There's more seating inside. They have a nice outdoor eating area. Like they did well on a lot of those dimensions, but the entry area to the new restaurant is chaos and the parking is worse. They were focused on their traditional business of in-person dining. I haven't sat down in that restaurant since they moved, but it's probably good. It looks good from when I go in to pick up my food. But they, even though they do a brisk trade in, in takeout, they, they didn't plan for that at all in the redesign, right? There's so many things you could do. You could have a separate entrance for takeout so that you don't need to talk to the this, this same person who's seating guests as is delivered like i've i've gone in to get food and my being there has made sit down customers line up behind me and wait a lot longer to be seated 
because we all have to talk to the same person. Figure out what your business is. Yeah. And do that well. And if it's, you know, you're doing both, then create separate processes, create separate ways of serving these two segments of your customer market well independently. And and that for me then ties into that sort of theme is are you high end or are you low end? Yeah. And then what are the signals that you're going to give that support that? So let me give you some examples of this, which I think are interesting. So one thing was, and I hadn't even thought about this until my wife Lorraine had mentioned it to me. We were going down the high street in, or the main street in Sarasota, uh, where we live. And she said, oh, I haven't been to that restaurant. We, we need to go to that restaurant. And I said, oh, right, okay, yeah, we haven't been there. She said, they have linen tablecloths. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, they do. And I hadn't actually thought that part of Lorraine's differentiation and, you know, whether it's high end or low end was, do they have tablecloths or not? And let me be clear, linen tablecloths, not just, you know. And that sort of then ties into other things, which is one of the things that bugs me is when you go into some of these restaurants and they have laminated menus. Yeah. Clearly a laminated menu is fine, but does it, stand out in that type of in environment is it appropriate is the word i'm struggling for is it appropriate for that type of environment i mean every decision you make as a restaurateur but also in your non-restaurant business every decision you make is sending signals to your customers and so what is a laminated menu send to your customer well it, it sends signals signals that you are low price and probably low quality right there, there may be exceptions to that and, and that may be fine, right? Maybe, maybe that's what you, that is your business, in which case, great. But to your point, um, there are a lot of businesses that aspire to be something a little more upscale and the, the laminated menus are, are cutting against that. Um, I, I'm going to add one here uh, having to do with menus, which is that I find the QR code menus to be massively annoying. Now, you, you had mentioned there's a news article recently suggesting yeah. that those are on the decline yeah, or, in the New York times. We'll put a link goodness. in the show notes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's a change. I'm glad to see reversing the QR code imposes a burden on your customers where now I need to pull my phone back out. A lot of people are like looking for the restaurant experience to take them away from their devices for a little while. And now you're forcing me to take it back out. I need to go through these steps. Most me- online menus that I've experienced are not optimized for the phone. So I'm like zooming in on yes. these PDF documents and like yes. moving around and navigating. Yes. It's imposing it a the on bend. the customer yes. so that the restaurant can save a couple of bucks. And it's just, it's not a great signal. Well, the, I, I think it's also just so short-sighted. Yes. There are cases where I guess it can apply because there always are. Okay. But there are also cases where you think to yourself, one of the key interactions is between you and the stuff, the wait stuff. If you're now forcing me to not do that, then it just again reinforces a commodity. Talking about wait stuff, let me build on on that with another couple of things that drive me around the bend. So one thing that drives me around the bend is you're sitting there and you've gone out and you're having a chat with your family or your friends or whatever you're dining with, 
and you're in the middle of a conversation and suddenly the waiter appears and and interrupts you uh, and you think to yourself, I'm in the middle of this conversation here. It is just rude to do that, you know? I mean, what you, you don't know, Colin, is that your stories are so boring that there were people <laughs> at the table that were signaling the waiter over, like, please rescue us from this guy. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you think to yourself, you wouldn't do that in normal circumstances, you know, in normal everyday life. So why are you doing it? Uh, why are you doing it here? And what it's basically saying is, it goes back to the whole conversation. You remember where we had that conversation? Well, in fact, you weren't actually on this one, but the conversation with Joe Pine about time well spent and wait time. And we, have, we then we talked about the whole bit about wait, which is basically going, what the message for me is, I am now ready for you. You now have to listen to me because I am more important than you are. And that, for me, is the wrong signal. And whilst I'm on a bit of a roll here, can I give you another one? Please go. Because this is the other half of it for me, which is then when they come back with the food, I love Indian curries, they then come back and go, Rogan Gosh, you know, to the table with their plate held up in the air. And then you have to put your hand up to say, yes, that was me. And you think to yourself, you took my order. There's only four of us. You took my order only 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, whatever it was, why can't you deliver it to the right person? And clearly, a lot of organizations do, yeah, or a lot of restaurants do, because it's clearly not hard. I mean, all you've got to do is draw a little map on the menu, etc. But for me, again, it starts to both those things. And I understand I'm a bit more sensitive from a customer experience perspective than others. But you start to think to yourself, yeah, that's the difference between a good quality of service and a not so good quality of service and should actually. And recently I've been thinking, yeah, with the labor shortage, you've just hired the wrong person to be into this this type of environment, basically. But it's it's more than than that. It, it's also there's also a systems issue. So. A lot of restaurants, uh, and I've never worked as a rest in a, in a restaurant, so I don't, I don't know, kind of the back end as well. But a lot of times, I recall my food will be brought to the table by a different staff member than the person who took my order, and I assume that there's logistical reasons for why that that happens. But to your point, like that can be planned as part of the experience, right? So now, when the waiter submits the ticket to the the kitchen. They could include some information about where at the table each dish goes because they anticipate it will be a different person bringing it out. So there's there's a system issue there where things are looked at from the perspective of the, the restaurant and what's convenient for us and what's convenient for our staff as opposed to looking at it from the customer's experience, which is how can I make this a more pleasant, enjoyable, seamless experience for the customer? And this is definitely, we're definitely Statler and Waldorf from this episode. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're getting <laughs> petty. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. 
that is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It'll be really good to get more listeners and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please just tell a friend. I do think that like with everything, these little things add up and they add up to your overall perception. So at the end of the experience, you go, was that a good experience or not? And you add all these little things up and you go, yes or no. The other one that annoys me is we went to a restaurant a little while ago in Sarasota and it was a new restaurant, but all the tables were so close together that you couldn't hear yourself talk. Yeah, It felt like every bloody table was trying to speak louder than the next table just so you can you could actually hear each other and again you just think to yourself they're clearly squeezing everybody in but not not just squeezing everybody in they hadn't thought about the decor and the audio effects of just having plain walls and stuff like that basically yeah i've I've got a similar complaint which is and a lot of this goes back to why are people like, what, what is your business? What, what is the service you're providing to people? There may be a segment of the market that loves the energy of a crowded room, that like this is what they're doing before they're going to go out on the town or before they're going to go see a show. And so they, they like they love a highly energetic restaurant setting. I think there's a lot of segments of the market that are there to talk to their friends and to hold a conversation. One thing that drives me crazy, and I've had this happen several times, you go into a restaurant that is like not a club. It's just a restaurant, but they've hired a performer for the evening. And so it's not designed for that. And then you've got this person with a guitar, like leaning over the tables next to them. And the acoustics are always set way too loud so that you're in this tiny little box of a room and you cannot talk to the people around you because they've decided this would be a nice night for their cousin to perform their new, you know, um, <laughs> music set that they that they wrote. It, I yeah, that's always boggled me. Like if if people are not going to hear the performer, then it's not clear what advantage having a performer there as a surprise is to anyone. Yeah, no, and and again, it just goes back to what's your business? Yes, who are your customers? Yeah, because some of that I can think of restaurants that we go to because they have a live performance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You go along there because you know it's going to be there. Yeah, I think that I think that becomes an issue. A couple of other things I think that are, are little things, which again, if I was running a restaurant, I think these are, these things are, in, are important. So I was reading an article the other day. We'll put a link in the show notes from Cornell. But it basically says dining in an upscale casual restaurant spend on average of $5.55, about 8% more. So on average, people were spending an additional $5.55, which was about 8% of the menu, for not having dollar signs on the menu. So you talk about sort of behavioral science. Mm -hmm. When you haven't got a dollar sign on the menu, then your take increases. So little things like that I find fascinating. Yeah, the dollar sign kind of reminds people 
of the idea of money and that they're spending and can like make them a little bit tighter with their uh, their choices. There are two or three other things that I'm starting to find useful in restaurants. One is having calories on the menu. Mm-hmm. I was away at the weekend and we went in this restaurant and there was um, calories on the menu. And the bloody difference between some of the calories, between some of the foods, you think to yourself, my goodness. Yeah. And again, this is a, a segmentation thing. Now, in a lot of places in the US for large enough chains, that's mandatory now. But uh, in places where it's not, again, this is a segmentation story. There are, there are certain customers who really, really value that and it's very useful for them. There are lots of customers who just ignore it, which is fine. Uh, and then there are some that might find it annoying. Like I'm, I'm not here. Like this is, I'm here to enjoy myself. I don't want to be reminded of this. So you need to know again, what's your business? Who are you serving? And what would they find? Yeah. No, absolutely. And talking about that, the other one I, uh, and this is particular, I guess, for our family, we've got a few of my kids are vegans. I'm starting to see that whole area going back to who are the, you know, who's your target market and everything else. If I was to go back 10 or 15 years, the choice for vegetarians or vegans was virtually non-existent in most restaurants. Yep. But that's increasing. We talk about segmenting and, and different groups of customers, and that's still the right approach. But restaurants are complicated because you're dealing with segments usually of more than one person. Sure. And so there needs to be kind of enough variety and accommodation to allow for those groups. If you're running a barbecue restaurant, probably not a lot of vegans wandering in there. And so you can, <laughs> you can probably, but it still wouldn't hurt to have a couple because every once in a while, you know, sure. there will be somebody who's a part of a larger group, but for a lot of restaurant chains, yeah, you're going to really increase your overall service. If you can accommodate reasonably people with different food preferences. Yes. That's an interesting thought, actually. Because I was just thinking that in England, one of the favorite forms of restaurant food is Indian food. So when you go into an Indian restaurant, typically you can get steak and chips or steak and fries for the person that doesn't like an Indian food, Yeah, yeah? Yeah. Uh, which speaks to your point. You can also get, there are also clearly restaurants that just focus on vegan and vegetarian. The interesting bit I was just thinking of is, but they don't provide meat offerings <laughs> as well. Uh, so, And again, that's going to, on the margins, that's going to, to limit their customer base a little bit. People who are, are vegan or vegetarian or, or you know have a gluten allergy have some kind of moral or, or strong preference reason or even a medical reason for not eating those foods. In general, people who are meat eaters could eat a vegan meal and survive. So it's, it's kind of an imbalance there. It's a little bit of asymmetry. But at the same time, yes, to the extent that, that you... Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. You just you know who your customers are. You know that you are serving yeah. people no, absolutely. with a preference. Yeah, no, absolutely. The other one I think that I quite like is having... Have you been into a restaurant where they have transparent windows to the kitchen? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been in some restaurants. The idea of that is that you can see the cleanliness. You're getting to see what's happening in the in the back. One of the things that they've done over in England is that they now grade restaurants on hygiene, and they have a sticker 
which they have to put prominently uh, on the entrance to show one to five where they've come. Yeah, they do that in the U.S. too. At least I'm sure it's regulated at the state level, so it's very different place to place. But a lot of them, they'll, they'll give, you, give you a scorecard and rate it A to, to failing. If we were to be setting up a restaurant, there's a number of things there, but I also think that a number of those areas tie into sort of general business, don't they? Which is, who's your customer? What's your offering? Are you clear about your offering? Are you doing things like the laminated menus, etc., that reinforces your offering? Or are you doing things that are taken away from your offering? And be clear where your market is and why you're doing it. Are you a takeaway or are you a restaurant? You know, which is the main part of your business? That's the takeaway advice, regardless of what your your business is. You know, I mean, there there are very successful high end restaurants. There are very successful takeaway restaurants. They're very successful pubs, right? I mean, the, the purpose of a pub, you can buy some food there, but you're not there for the food. You're there to hang out and drink with friends and play pub games and uh, and chat know what the source of value is and surprisingly a lot of that source of value extends well beyond the food right so you can have great food you can sometimes have mediocre food and still be very successful in what you're doing if you know what the need is that you are designed to meet and you can meet that need excellently well yep yep so we've hoped that's been of use to you. If you have any other things that you particularly like or don't particularly like about your restaurants, then let or us know. Or if you have any other topics that you would like Colin and I to just complain about for half an hour. <laughs> we are always on board for that. Great. All right. This is uh, Waldorf and Statler saying goodbye. See ya. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.